All right, it's quote time. Here it is. Oh, God, no. I'm not going to read that. <laughs> do it. I do not know how. Do you want to read the English of it? Yeah. Okay, everyone, it's in Italian, so we're going to have him read the English version instead. Oh, what a misfortune to be without testicles. I can't believe you made me read that. <laughs> yeah, because you would think it was wonderful, a true delight. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Fire the Canon, the podcast where we read the books in the Western canon and decide if they belong or not. Here are your hosts. The first is Jackie. Hey, I'm Jackie. I'm the first. Here's your other host, uh, Rachel. I'm Rachel. I'm just the other host, I guess. You're supposed to call me the <laughs> primary host. One is the first, one's the primary. Oh. Uh, I prefer other. I think that's fine. And I'm Theo. I'm the executive producer of the podcast. I'm kind of the head honcho over here. <laughs> All right. We're the head honchas. <laughs> a lot of honcha heads and honcho. Um, a lot oh. of honchicks heads. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure what that means. It's like the gender neutral ending. <laughs> Hancha? Like the X. X. With an X. <laughs> Instead Hanchix. of honcho or hancha, honchix. Hmm. I'm not a fan of that. Anyway. Um, Whoa. Try to be more open-minded. Theo and I can see each other on video, and Rachel is just like a black square with nothing in it because she wants to show us something. So are we supposed to guess what you're so doing? So Rachel has yet to turn on her video camera, her web camera. Okay. Each of you guess what I'm about to reveal, and then I'll reveal it. Does it relate to the book at all, or can you give us some hint? Well, my guess was going to be that you have a curly little mustache and a beret and a striped shirt. I'm supposed to guess what you're doing? You could be doing anything. I know. Your camera's off. That's what's so crazy about it. I bet. Oh, you taped a rat to your cat, Dune 1984 style, and you're about to reveal it. I mean, my brain keeps going to naked, Rachel naked, but like, I don't think that's... Okay, that's an interesting thing to admit. <laughs> Would you All like right. to try that again? <laughs> when else do people hide themselves and then suddenly reveal themselves when they're naked? That's the only time. <laughs> Happens to me all the time. You're about to find out when else they do it, because that's not what's going on. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm I'm relieved, I got to say. Well, that's rude. Okay, here we go. Well, no, not that I don't want to see it. I just feel like that would put a strange power dynamic between the three of us. <laughs> right. I would immediately become so powerful. <laughs> yeah. I would be like, what? why does Rachel get to have so much confidence she can be naked and I don't? <laughs> You'd immediately become jealous. Okay, ready, Jack? Um, should we tell the skinny dipping story <laughs> before I make my reveal? Let's let Rachel make her reveal. No, I think let's keep Rachel in the dark the whole time. It's not really a story, like barely anything, like just your mom freaked out or whatever. Barely anything happened. I ran around on the beach for an hour. <laughs> in the nude. By myself, lost. <laughs> okay. Your little sister had to save me. Yeah, okay, okay. Ready to, for me to reveal myself? Yeah, reveal. Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh, she's naked. <gasps> she has really short hair. I have really short hair. Oh. I gave away oh my gosh. a lot of hair to cancer children. It looks great. Bald kids with cancer. Good job. I've been meaning to tell you to do that for a couple months now. You're like, wow. why are you hoarding all those inches of hair when they could be going to make wigs for little girls with cancer? Hair hoarding. That's so altruistic of you to be meaning to do that, Theo. So I should it's get pretty some short, hair. right? Yeah, it looks good. Yeah. No, it looks good. Steven was shocked because he didn't realize how much I was cutting off, but I was like, well, the more hair you can give them, the better, because little girls like to have long wigs. Yeah, they do. Mm. Um, and it has lots of volume. 
Well, yeah, now it does because it isn't being weighed down by an extra 14 inches of itself. Oh, my nice. gosh. Yeah. You look like a 30. All I have to do is cut off 14 inches of my height and then I, too, could have volume. Yeah. Did you just say I look like I'm a 30-year-old, Theo? Yeah. Did you say of your height, Jackie? I did say of my height. 14 inches of your height. <laughs> Wait, explain why I look 30 now. <laughs> a lot of people said some weird stuff. I don't know what's going on. You were one of the ones who said the weird <laughs> stuff. Um, did she not look 30 before? Does she look older or younger now? I don't know. She looks like very professional. I think she looks mature, but in a good way. Theo thinks I look mature in a bad way. <laughs> no, very professional. <laughs> professional. Yeah. We're just all disappointed nobody's naked. Wait, is having long hair... More youthful or more aged? Depends. If you have like long witchy hair, Ooh. that's kind of where I'm headed. Wow, <laughs> I don't, I can't remember the last time me and Rachel have been switched on our hair lengths. Never. I have longer hair than Rachel. Yeah, that's never happened. I think we never ever have. Yeah. Mm -mm. The hair that you have now is wow. basically the shortest mine's been in like 10 years. You want to tell your story about running around in the nude for an hour, Jackie? And then we'll get into Candide. Why don't we put that in the middle? Why don't we put that in the middle? Okay. Put that in the middle. <laughs> All right, audience, keep listening for another, I don't know, 20 minutes, and then you'll find out the story. <laughs> I had another experience. If you recall. Yeah. You're, see, that was a funny story all around, Rachel. I don't know why you think it wasn't interesting. I mean, it's I, I just worry if you I don't want people to get their hopes up. I don't want you to be like, listen to this skinny dipping story and everyone be like, ooh. Well, like, I wouldn't tell you a skinny dipping sound. story that's going to end with ooh. Yeah. Well, sometimes people think that. I'm in the perspective of the audience. I'll edit out all the tantalizing details. <laughs> we just both made hilarious mistakes and it ended up poorly. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's true. Oh my gosh. It's just like Candide himself. Mm. Yeah, except he didn't really make mistakes. Bad things just kind of happened to him. Should we talk about Candide? Don't call those mistakes. Yeah. Let's just real quick say, in case you haven't noticed, this episode is part one of two about Candide by Voltaire. That freaky little nut we talked about in the last episode. Candide ou l'optimisme, or whatever. Hmm. Yes, the other title for this is Optimism. Mm -hmm. Theo read this book last year, so Theo's going to actually be in charge. Right, ready he's to pull up the, guiding us the outline, Theo? All right, let's start. Okay, go ahead. Pull it up, <sighs> baby boy. <laughs> All right, no, I got it. So I'm just going to jump in, okay? okay? If you listen to the Voltaire episode, you remember something about his life, hopefully. <laughs> and it was that he had a girlfriend named Pimpet. That's the most important thing well, you need pimp. to remember. Um, this was written towards the end of Voltaire's life. And sad. in the last, like, 20 or so years before he died, this was, like, when he was the most famous and, like, really thriving and just living. And he was preoccupied with the subject of human suffering. Aren't we all? What the fuck? But he was really thriving and living and preoccupied with the <laughs> idea of human suffering? I mean, yeah. Are you really living if you're not also thinking about death all the time? You know there's an app you can download that just reminds you once a day that you're mortal and you're going to die? Why? What? I don't need an app for that. Exactly. I don't need that app. I, I, know, I know that all the time. But sometimes— People like that app. Yeah, it helps people feel like they're in the present. And, what the And, you know, fuck? if they have something that they want to do. Yeah, sometimes people need a reminder that, like, hey, this isn't lasting forever. Get your shit together. Pay me a dollar a day and I'll do it. I don't need yeah. that reminder. Is there another app that reminds you that there are lots of people who don't like you? Nope. You don't need that app for sure. <laughs> Because everyone likes you. I don't think any of us need that app. <laughs> okay, cool. I don't, honestly don't think that's true of most people. I think, what? That everyone likes them? <laughs> I don't think it's most. It's true of most people that lots of people dislike them. I don't know. Yeah, most people don't think about you at all. Like, what are we all? Just a bunch of little, like, Stalins running around over here? Incredibly hot, but disliked by all? I don't... <laughs> they, they all just, like, said, 
I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so he was he was preoccupied with that. And, you know, people to this day ask this question of, like, if God is all good, then why does he let bad things happen? And if he's all powerful, then why does he let bad things happen? And he especially was affected by two events, which was in 1746, an earthquake struck Lima, Peru, and killed many thousands of people and destroyed most of the city. And then in 1755, less than 10 years later, 50,000 people in Lisbon, Portugal, were killed by another earthquake. So he, like, had a thing about earthquakes, which is, I guess, understandable, because he didn't live in either of those places or close to either of those places, but they really affected him for some reason. Yeah. Mm. And so— he was a contemporary of another philosopher named Leibniz, and Leibniz was one of these guys who espoused the idea that th- they were about optimism. And so the doctrine they. was that— Was Leibniz non-binary? Uh, Leibniz and his school oh, okay. kind of <laughs> had the dominant school of thought at the time, which was that the answer to the question of why does evil exist is because, well, we have free will. So this is ultimately a good thing because men can choose what they're going to do, and they can choose good or evil, and without— evil, there's really no such thing as good, so you kind of have to have it all in the mix. Mm -hmm. And Voltaire kind of perverted this, bastardized it a little bit, and made it into this satire. And he turned that argument into everything is for the best, which is a very kind of flat version of what Leibniz was trying to say. But people still say this all the time, right? Like, you have a miscarriage or you lose your job or something, and it's like, well, it's for the best. Everything's going to be fine. This had to happen. Like part of God's plan. Yeah. People don't normally, when you have a miscarriage, they don't normally say it's for the best, right? They're normally like, oh, you know, God has a plan for your life, whatever. I've never been pregnant, so I can't say, but I know that people say horrible things. (laughs) Yeah, I've just, and I know they do say insensitive stuff, but I feel like I've never heard it as bad as, hey, it's for the best. (laughs) It's for the best, yeah, right. Well, yeah, you can always have more. Like, people say stuff like that. It's crazy. But anyway, so he lampooned this idea in Candide, and Candide is making fun of this idea that we, yes, his masterpiece. We have to suffer some bad things in the service of the general good. And so basically, it's kind of what Ada Palmer said in one of our last episodes, which is that optimism and hope are not the same thing. Voltaire is making fun of optimism because he feels like optimism is not a hopeful thing for the future. It's just like empty bleh optimism. Yeah, empty bleh. Mm. This is why we need Ada Palmer. <laughs> yeah, empty bleh. So <laughs> that's the title. So a very brief summary, Candide is a young man. He's growing up in a village called Westphalia in Germany or modern-day Germany. And he falls in love with a beautiful son – or sorry, he falls in love with the beautiful <laughs> daughter of a baroness and a baron whose name is Lady Cunegonde. 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 Like the accent on the E. Cunegonde. Ah, I was calling her Cunegonde. Okay. (laughs) In my outline, I just called her LC, like Lauren Conrad. Look, I live in fear of the French, (laughs) the barbed words of the French. Well, I just don't believe we're ever going to pronounce it right, so why try? Mm. I feel like they might respect the effort. Is Cunegonde a French name? I thought it sounded kind of— No, but it's a Frenchified version of some other name. So that's just how it sounds like South American or something. Cunego. Mm -hmm. Cunego. (laughs) <laughs> just say like, if I just slur it and go <laughs> yeah so uh, he falls in love with Lady Cunegon and he's exiled from Westphalia and tries to get back to her and experiences a series of misadventures in which horrible things happen to him and everyone he knows and that's it. Everyone dies and comes back to life. <laughs> yeah, it's like a soap opera, honestly. Oh, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. And the whole time, it's like, doesn't he have some good luck and then it's all taken away? And then he has some good luck and it's all taken away. Yes. 
So that's basically it. There's a lot of wars. My version um, of Candide was translated by a man named John Butt. I don't know if it's pronounced Butte, but I'm going to call him John Butt. And okay. he basically in the foreword said, uh, it's not really possible for you to understand everything that he's talking about because a lot of it's like very specific to his time and place. And he didn't try to make it very, um, he didn't try to make it very timeless. So you're just not going to understand a lot of it, but it's okay. You get the point anyway. Mine is translated by Theo Cuff. Oh, what do you think? Yeah, that's interesting. Because it goes on this big grand adventure, but then it's all like contemporary references and stuff like that. Contemporary for his time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's all references to 2022, weirdly enough. Like it, people are finally <laughs> understanding <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. It's all about like Will Smith slapping whatchamacallum. Yeah. Whatchamacallum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you You're going to erase him? He got slapped and now it's erasure? I care more about the subject than the object. Christopher R. Ock. In this case or all cases? In this case. So each of the chapters are very short and they have their own little individual titles, which kind of just tell you exactly what happens. So chapter one is called How Candide Was... Can we just decide how to say Candide, by the way? Because I keep switching it's it. Candide. Hey, but I hate that. I'm going to say it that <laughs> way. You can say it Candide if you want. Okay. How Candide was brought up in a beautiful country house <laughs> and how he was driven away. I'm so powerful despite having clothes on. <laughs> All right. So we're going to cover the first 16 chapters of this book, which they're all really short, and then we'll cover the rest later in, in the next episode. We start with a chapter called How Candide Was Brought Up in a Beautiful Country House and How He Was Driven Away. So a lot happens immediately. <laughs> Candide is, he's a young man. He's probably about, you know, a young teenage boy man-ish. He's just like a little baby child man, older teen kind of guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's just like a decrepit old baby man. <laughs> and he lives in this beautiful country house. And he has a tutor named Pangloss, Dr. Pangloss. And Pangloss is the guy who has the philosophy that everything is for a purpose. Everything is for the best. And his example is like, look, we have legs and we have pants and it's clear that our legs were made to be put into pants and it's clear that our noses were formed so that we could put glasses on them. This guy's a nut. He's just trying to tell Candide he needs to wear pants. Yeah, listen, <laughs> you only have legs for one reason and it's so that you put some freaking pants on. We're tired of your nudity. God, this is leading so well into our skinny dipping story. <laughs> Because if we had just freaking listened to Pangloss, then we wouldn't have gotten in any of that trouble. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. So um, Lady Cunegonde, she's the 17-year-old daughter of the Baron and Baroness. And he's kind of in love with her, but he's never, like, really talked and to her. And something Jackie loves, she's his cousin. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, wait, I did know that because it says it in the first paragraph, but I didn't really put it together. Now you're into the book, right? Ugh. Why does this always— Like, finally, some freaking incest. It's been one whole okay, episode. I don't, listen, <laughs> cousin marriage is not incest. It's just not. It doesn't mean that I like it, but that's not the definition. <laughs> that's how people use the word now, Jacko. Oh, whatever. I can't do it. Okay, so, um, yeah, things get porny, like, immediately. So Lady Cunegonde is walking around, and she sees Pangloss, the tutor, quote-unquote, giving a lesson in experimental physics to the, like, lady-in-waiting who serves her mother— and she's looking at her and she's like, that woman is eminently teachable. And wow, there's a lot of lessons I can learn here. And she starts to think, I'd really like to do some learning. You know who might be able to, to learn with me? Candide. My I cousin. Think he might be able to. <laughs> my hot cousin. Yeah, my cousin Candide. <laughs> 
So she goes and finds Condide and she's like, I've been thinking about all this stuff that I saw in, in the education realm. And she drops her handkerchief. He picks it up. You know, they're very cute and young and he kisses her hand and they're like blushing and stuff. And then they kiss on the lips. And then her dad comes in and finds them and he kicks him on the butt and he gets him out of the house and he says, get out of here. Continuously kicks him on the butt, like all the way out yeah, the door. Kicks kick, him kick, on the kick. ass repeatedly, like bump, 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 kick. And then, um, Kunegon's mother comes in and like boxes her about the ears and says, you're in trouble now. So he's banished and uh, that happened really quickly. Yeah, I thought there was going to be a little more. I was honestly shocked when I saw the chapter title. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a nice, long, juicy chapter. And then it's like two and a half pages. (laughs) They're all like this. It's like bad things start happening to him immediately. All right. Next is what happened to Candide amongst the Bulgars? The Bulgars are people from Bulgaria, right? That would be my guess. Should we look it up? No, we don't need to look it up. That's correct. Mm. So he's kicked out of Westphalia and he goes to a there's all kinds of like weird names. He goes to a village that I wish I were making Theo read instead of me reading it. Yeah, send it to Theo. It's, uh, oh, no, they're not. They're not from Bulgaria. They're a Turkic semi nomadic warrior tribe that flourished in the uh, Pontic Caspian steppe and the Volga region. Well, why do they name Bulgaria that? Well, they probably named Bulgaria after these people. Are they not like settled by those people? But I guess if they were just from Bulgaria, they would be Bulgarians. So they're not modern day Bulgarians there. Okay. Yeah. So there is a lot of racism in this book. Let's go ahead and say that. Oh and my gosh. I, some of it is, yeah, some of it's sarcastic. Some of it I think is not. <laughs> but so the Bulgars are, you know, these guys from like somewhere in the Middle East and he's pretty um, not, afraid sounding of them, I would say. I don't know if I would call it the Middle East, but it's like from Eurasia-ish, right? Turkey, yeah. It's like above Turkey. I, I don't know. It's complicated. Okay, whatever. <laughs> so, but anyway, um, he goes to this, Candide goes to a village called Waldberghof Trakdikdorf, where he is tricked into joining the Bulgar army. I don't really know how they trick him. They just say like, hey, do you want to eat with us? And he's like, I don't have any money. And they're like, no, 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 we'll pay for you. And then somehow they trick him into joining the army. It was funny when they asked him, they're like, you look like you're almost six feet tall. And he's like, oh my gosh, you're right. And they said- five, five. He's five, five. But in the book- He's not that tall at all. In my translation, it says like, you look like you're almost six feet. And he says he is. Oh, mine says- you're five feet, five inches tall, right? And he says, yes, I am. And they say, well, we've got a, um, a uniform here for you. Oh, that's so funny because mine definitely says you look like you're almost six feet tall. <laughs> I guess, I mean, when you consider it almost compared to like zero inches, yeah, that's almost six feet tall. But they were basically like, you're a hot, tall guy. We're hot, tall guys. You should never have to pay for your own food and drinks. We'll do it for you. <laughs> So 5'5 five five was, like, tall back then, maybe? I think. I mean, maybe I Rachel's editor was self-conscious about his height and was like, 5'5 five five is almost 6 <laughs> Yeah, maybe my editor was 5'5. Five five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they say, oh, we've got a uniform here. It'll fit you. Here, put it on. So they put him into boot camp, and on the first day, they whip him 30 times. The second day... They whip him a mere 20 times. And by the third day, he's only getting whipped 10 times. And they call him a prodigy for that. He learned really fast. But he's pretty naive. He's like, the reason he's called Condit is because he's just like so open and honest. And he's he doesn't have any wiles. Like he's just kind of out here in the world, like doing his best. And he's a really nice person. So he's he doesn't really think too much about it. He's just like, I don't like this. So he walks away. He just walks off. And they, of course, immediately catch him. And they say, well, you can have a choice between either getting shot in the head 12 times or you can get flogged 36 times by the whole regiment. So 36 times by each man in the entire regiment. That is 2,000 men. That would be 72,000 whippings. And he says, 
well, I guess I'd probably survive that easier than 12 bullets in the head. So he opts for the 72,000 fucking <laughs> they whippings. They ask him to choose and he's like, I don't like either one. <laughs> and they're yeah, like, too bad. Said, in the best of all possible worlds, I would have neither one. And they were like, well, that's not a thing. So yeah. you have to pick. And so um, your body is made to be whipped. <laughs> we have whips and you have a body <laughs> your luscious little bottom is made to be whipped I can, so that's gross um, I regret saying that alright Jackie gets the Nessie award <laughs> Miss Jackson award yeah Miss Jackson uh, but he, he survives 4,000 of these things and then he, um, he he says can you please do me the kindness of just beheading me I'm done with this like I can't yeah. do this anymore but just then the king of the Bulgars rides by and pardons him and so He's pardoned and he gets to heal up for a little while, but not for long because after this, the battle between the Bulgars and the Abars begins. I don't know who the Abars are, but I'm assuming some other clan. I Googled it. Abar. Nothing came up. The Bulgars and their imaginary enemies. Oh, it says they represent the French. <laughs> what? 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 No. Because French is another thing in this story, right? Oh, they no, they represent the French. We represent <laughs> the lollipop guild like this. That's the A-bars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Chapter three is called How Candide Escaped from the Bulgars and What Happened to Him Afterwards. So it's like a really bad, terrible battle. And the narrator describes it in an extremely droll way. Everything in this book happens so fast and with no description. Yeah. A lot of it I thought was funny. Some of it I was disturbed by. <laughs> but <laughs> this he basically is like, oh, well, you know, as has always happened in accordance with international law, <laughs> one side always like rapes the women and kills the children and the men of the other side and burns their village to the ground. But that's how people do it. So it's fine. Yeah, that's what I find funny about this. It's the matter of factness. And of course, it's that so he's trying to give you the idea that like this is absurd you know, yeah. in accordance with how things should be going this is what happened so yeah in accordance with national international law they burned down the village and pillaged everything yeah he goes to one village and he sees that the abars have burned it to the ground and then he goes to the other village and he's like and the narrator says like oh the bulgars thankfully they got their revenge and they burned the other village to the ground and so Candide was surrounded by like people begging him to kill them and put them out of their misery which is the way the world's supposed to be. Thank God. Yeah. So then it says that Candide was like, I don't like this. And he walked to Holland. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to imagine that he actually was like, I don't like this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so, okay. So he walks to Holland. Is that from something? What are you referencing? No, it's just, no, it's not. Just how I said it. It's just from Rachel's little brain. <laughs> it sounds know? like my neighbor. Neighbor Jane? No, I think his name was Vernon. When we found out that he was feeding our cat, Florence, my mom said, could you please stop feeding our cat? And he said, I like a white cat. <laughs> yeah, I was referencing your neighbor, <laughs> Vernon, when he when she said, I don't like that. <laughs> like still, like even if you like the cat, like don't have to feed it. You know, If you like something, you feed it. So for some reason, when you first started talking, I imagined Vernon was a small child like you, but Vernon is clearly an old man, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> It's just a very slow talking child. That <laughs> would be so scary. Is he a child? Like a whack. <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> At one point he was. He's a village elder. But, yeah. <laughs> All right. So it says that Candide like saw some people and he asked them if they would feed him and they were like, 
you're about to get your ass in trouble if you keep asking people to help you. And then he listens to a (laughs) preacher who's like preaching about helping people. Afterwards, the minister, he's like, can you give me some bread, please? And the minister's like, well, hey, do you think the Pope is the Antichrist? And he's like, I don't know. I've never met him. (laughs) Did they want him to say the Pope was the Antichrist? I feel like they did want him to say that. I think so, because I guess guess Holland was like Protestant. Yeah. He says, I don't really know either way. I'm just starving. And apparently that was the wrong answer. Yeah. So he got really mad. And then the preacher's wife dumped a bucket of, I guess, poop on his head and he was like ugh what does your version say because mine just says like a bucket of and then there's no word there's just like a blank bucket of blank on his head what so I just assumed it was it's been redacted bucket of redacted it just it was nothing it was just a bunch of spaces what does that happen other times in the story no it says she discharged over his head a chamber pot full of dot 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 heavens oh a chamber pot of heaven a chamber pot of heaven yeah so anyway so he's like he's covered in heavens and he's starving (laughs) that's terrible and anabaptist you wrote that his name is james but i thought his name was jacques in my version it's james really (laughs) that's funny blame john butt i didn't do this john butt Yeah, mine calls him jacques the anabaptist i wonder if your guy is like they can't deal with these french names I've got to change it. Okay. Well, I'm going to say Jacques. What's an Anabaptist? It's uh, someone who doesn't want to get baptized, I guess. I don't know. I forget. I I did have to learn it in Bible class. but uh, I always, when I see the word Anabaptist, I just think like an anaconda. Like, so I picture like a, like a snaky kind of guy. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, wait. No, it says that. So is an anaconda a snake that doesn't want a condom? Oh, they wanted adult baptisms. Yeah, it's, they believed that you couldn't get baptized as a child and have it count. Like you had to affirm your belief as an adult and then you could get baptized. And they were like a fringe group. Honestly, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, so that's just like what a Baptist is now. We just call that a Baptist. Well, you, when you're a Baptist, you can get baptized as a child, just not as a baby. Yeah. You have to do it willingly. Yeah. They thought you had to be an adult, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You had to be an adult. You have to be like 100 years old. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. So they also, it says that they believed like children, like if you're under the age of majority, you cannot commit sin, basically, because- you're not even aware of good and evil and you don't really have free will at the time, which honestly, kind of true. Yeah, but sometimes God will still like to try you as an adult. You know, he there's loopholes. Well, anyway, so they were also pacifists and they sort of lived apart from the rest of society. And they dump chamber pots on people's heads? Is that No, they that them? didn't no. like it when people dumped chamber pots on people's heads. I don't know. Maybe I'm an Anabaptist. <laughs> no, Candide was begging for bread and the pastor or the like guy who was preaching, his wife was like so moved by anger that he would ask this that she dumped something on him. Mm-hmm. And then the Anabaptist takes him home and cleans him up. Mm-hmm. Wow. Candide is like... Pangloss, he he was right the whole time because if I hadn't been kicked in the butt and then forced to join the army, I never would have met this awesome guy. (laughs) The butt kicking is still standing out to him even though he got whipped 4,000 times. I hope he blacked out for that. (laughs) But so Jacques had given him two coins of like a pretty high denomination and he goes out walking and he sees like— Like your mom did at Christmas, like, hey— Candide, these are yours. Yeah. <laughs> and then he takes them back. <laughs> yeah. So he sees this old beggar's face is like rotting off and he's fairly decrepit. And Candide is like so moved by pity that he's like, here, take all of my money. And then the beggar says, oh my gosh, Candide, it's you. It's me, Pangloss. And there you go. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, Chapter yeah. four starts. Yeah. How Candide met his old tutor, Dr. Pangloss, and what came of it. <laughs> 
Candide says, well, what happened to you? What happened to my family? And Pangloss says basically like the Baron and Baroness and their son, they all got like chopped into bits and Cunegonde got like, I mean, we're going to have to do a lot ahead of time. We will already have some like content warnings. Yeah. But he's like, yeah, she just got like raped a lot and then disemboweled and now she's dead. And he's like, no. So he, what, what's funny is he asked Pangloss like, oh my gosh, tell me where Cunegonde is. And he goes, oh, she's dead. He faints. <laughs> Brings him back to consciousness, and Candida's like, well, I'm assuming that she died because she was so heartbroken that I left, right? And Pangos is like, oh, no, she was raped and disemboweled by bulgars, and he faints again. Wow. And so then he wakes up, and he's like, well, Pangloss, what happened to you? Yeah, so so he faints like four times in the conversation. I bet Pangloss was kind of like, okay, let's get this moving along. I'm starving to death. <laughs> Do you think he started to, like— Make it, like, less and less bad. So he's like, ah, this guy's looking faint again. I'm going to have to maybe temper it. No, because he keeps (laughs) ramping it up. Okay, so he says, like, yeah. He's like, what happened to you? And in my version, Pangloss is like, it's a disease of love. And Candide says, well, how is that possible? There's no such thing. And he's like, yeah. And I can trace exactly where I got it from. And he's like, I got it from this woman who got it from this man who got it from this woman. And he goes back like eight generations. And he's like, it's really cool because it was a guy who used to hang out with Christopher Columbus. That's where I got my syphilis from. Yeah, he has syphilis. Right? And he's like, yeah, I'm about to die now. <laughs> Yeah, Candide is like, well, that's really unfortunate that that happened to you. And Pangloss is like, well, no, because, you know, they they had to go around the world and, like, spread this and discover things. And if, if we didn't have syphilis, then we also wouldn't have discovered chocolate. Fair enough. Like, okay, good good trade. <laughs> he contorts himself a lot to, to say why it's good that he's dying of syphilis right now. <laughs> he's really devoted to his philosophy, which I admire. Oh, yeah. So, all right, so Candide's like, don't die. Let me take you back to my friend Jacques. And he goes back and he says, please help him. He's my tutor. He's dying of a love disease. And Jacques is like, yeah, this is awesome. I'll pay for his treatment and cure him myself and I'll feed him. And then he recovers and he finds out, oh my gosh, you guys are both philosophers. Well, I'm going to bring you on my trading expedition to Lisbon. So they go on board this ship with him and um, Jacques and Pangloss are kind of Sorry. talking. Hmm? So who, who, whose trading expedition is it? Jacques. Jacques. Okay. Yeah. The Anabaptist. The Anabaptist. He's a nice guy. He's the one who saved Candide and he's the one who saved Pangloss. Yeah. So Pangloss is talking to Jacques the Anabaptist about his philosophy and how it's the best of all possible worlds. And Jacques is kind of like, that's nice, but I don't really believe that but okay (laughs) and while they're talking a giant storm comes the next section is describing tempest shipwreck and earthquake and what happened to dr pangloss candide and jacques the anabaptist who in my version is james (laughs) so i'm gonna try not to say james so unfortunately this big storm comes and a sailor gets like thrown overboard accidentally jacques tries to save him but the sailor drowns him instead so jacques disappears into the sea and drowns even though he was super nice and never did anything wrong and candide feels really bad and wants to like throw himself into the sea after him but dr pangloss comes in and is like no listen you know why the lisbon harbor is even here it was for Jacques to drown in it. Yeah. That's why it's here. So it fulfilled its purpose. This is fine. This is good. Mm-hmm. So they make it to shore, just like in real life, an actual earthquake strikes, destroying most of the city of Lisbon. It's just hard. Like, it's horrible. Like, you don't, you don't want to laugh at these things, but they're supposed to be funny. But he's caught, Candide is caught, like, under some rubble of a collapsed house. And he's like, Pangloss, please save me. Oh, 
Also, people who survived the shipwreck are Pangloss, Candide, and the sailor who condemned Jacques to death after Jacques had saved his life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And he doesn't feel bad about it at all, basically. Yeah. So they come to shore, and Candide gets trapped in the earthquake, and he's like, oh my god, I'm in so much pain, please save me. And Pangloss is like, you know, this isn't surprising, right? Like, earthquakes are perfectly natural, they happen all the time. And Candide is like, I'm sure they are, but I'm literally about to die, please help me. And he's like, let me explain again, I don't think you understand. And <laughs> he, like, has to prove his point, and then he, Candide passes out from pain, and then he, and then he saves him. So that night they have dinner with, like, some other people who have managed to survive this earthquake. And everyone's really sad, but Pangloss, of course, teaches them, like, look, this could not have happened otherwise. This is how things had to go. I'm sure there's a purpose to it. So he has dinner with these people, and Pangloss is explaining why the earthquake had to happen. And someone there who is, like, an official from the local university kind of challenges his ideas and tells him, you know, you must not really believe in the Bible because the Bible says that the fall of man was bad and, like, men can commit sins and things are sinful and bad and not for the best. And Pangloss goes on this long ramble about how, no, that's not correct, and he has to prove the guy wrong. So in the next chapter, how a magnificent auto de fe was staged to prevent further earthquakes and how Candide was flogged. University officials, the same one, they decide that a human sacrifice is the best way to prevent future earthquakes from happening. Mm -hmm. So they stage an auto de fe, which is? It was a basically like a form of public penance, mm -hmm. and the most extreme version was burning someone alive. Yeah, and the Catholic Church, I guess, would do it. That sounds like a pretty foolproof way to stop earthquakes to me. <laughs> well, we haven't had one since, so I guess they were right and you were wrong. So anyway, they decide to arrest... Pangloss and Candide, and it says they arrested one for speaking and one for listening with approval. Mm -hmm. And then they also arrested a Basque and two Jews for different things. Suspected Jews. A suspected Jews, yeah. Because they... Because it says they threw away a bacon garnish that came with their chicken. They decided not to eat bacon, so they were like, aha, they must be Jews, so they get them. And the Basque and the two Jews are burnt. Pangloss is hanged, and Candide is flogged in time with the beautiful music of the national anthem. So that was really gorgeous. It was nice that they did that. Right, because, like, it, he could have been flogged with no soundtrack at all, and that would have been way worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, like, to a stupid song. Right. You know, like, what's a stupid song that you would hate to be flogged to? I, there are probably lots of songs that you wouldn't want to be flogged to the beat of. Cotton Eye Joe would be bad. Like the Benny Hill theme or something? <laughs> That's way too much flogging. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, yeah, Flight of the Bumblebee. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Oh, that would be a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you get flogged for no? <laughs> That's what Jackie's indicating. Yeah, to the beat. <laughs> yeah, I think the best song to get flogged to would be like, what's that Adele song that's like, hello? Hello. hello. It's me. <laughs> it's called Hello. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be fine, right? Because <laughs> it's slow. Because there's not yeah. a lot of words. <laughs> so he's he's flogged again, and he's like, God, this is awful. Like, I believe Pangloss. Like, Pangloss said, this is the best of all possible worlds. But if this is true, like, I God, I'd really hate to see what the other worlds are like. Yeah. This is pretty bad. They have to be even worse somehow. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, a mysterious old woman comes up to him and says, hey, come with me. All right. So, so does. the next chapter is called How an Old Woman Took Care of Candide. 
and how he found the woman he loved. <gasps> and when I saw this, I was like, oh my gosh, maybe it's the old woman. That would be so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the old woman takes him away to like a really grand house. And I think it says like it was way better than the Baron's house back in Germany. A beautiful house. Then she cuts her hair and he realizes it's Kunigan. Yeah. <laughs> well, almost. That's what happens. Okay. So she dresses his wounds and feeds him, gives him clothes and like doesn't explain what's going on. And finally, after he's kind of recovered, she takes him to like a gorgeous boudoir. And then he sees inside is Cunegonde. She's survived, ah! I guess. But so they're like hugging and crying together. And he says, Pangloss told me that you were raped and disemboweled. And she's like, I was, but I didn't die. <laughs> yeah, my version says, yeah, didn't that happen to you? Did that not happen? And she said, oh, it did happen. But people don't always die of those mishaps. <laughs> people don't always die of bis- disemboweling. Is that true? I guess if you just put the bowels back in. <laughs> yeah, I guess. You can put the bowels back in. Re-emboweled. Yeah. Oh. She says in mine, it says um, when she says like, Pangloss told me you were raped and disemboweled. And she says, I most certainly was in both cases, but these things are not always fatal. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. So she's like, but he's right that my parents and brother were killed. So I'll tell you my tale. The next chapter is called Cunegon's Story. So I guess we know what to expect here. Mm -hmm. So uh, the narrator says, by the grace of God, the Bulgars came upon the palace and slaughtered her parents (laughs) And then she fainted, and while she was passed out, one of them started raping her, and that woke her up, and she tried to fight him off. And then while she was trying to fight him off, he stabbed her in the side, which you wrote thigh, but mine said he stabbed her in the side. Mine said thigh. I feel like side makes more sense because you can't get disemboweled through your thigh. Oh, I just assumed she was disemboweled and stabbed in the thigh. Oh, well, maybe. Okay, so. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe we don't know where her organs were. This is a whole other time. So true. (laughs) While telling the story, she says, you know, at the time, I didn't realize that what was happening to me wasn't really that unusual. Like, it was all in accordance with international law. (laughs) It says that Candide is super innocent. He's like, about the stabbing in the side. He's like, oh, I hope I can see it someday. And she's like, you will. (laughs) That's why, like, mine says thigh. So when she says, like, oh, I have a big scar on my thigh, he's like, oh, my God, I would give anything to see it. Like, that I thought made more sense than if if it was just, like, her stomach. (laughs) That's even more intimate. You almost never see a woman's stomach. In my version, they keep using, instead of the word rape, they say ravish. Um... (laughs) Ooh, it just feels gross. Like, rape isn't funny. Um, none of this is funny. It's just all, like, kept up in a weird ball that he keeps using for humor. The reason it's funny is because of the narrator's tone. It's so matter-of-fact, right? It's the combination of, like, you know, I was disemboweled, and now I'm fine. And the narrator being like, yeah. this is all in accordance <laughs> with international laws of warfare, so it's totally fine. Yeah, people don't always die of that. Yeah. <laughs> he has to use those really, like, violent and graphic images so that that you understand the, um, what's the word, like the discrepancy. Also, like, this is pretty real. Some of it is realistic. Like, obviously, we'll get to some parts later that is not, but, you know, this stuff was happening all the time and unfortunately still happens all the time. So... I mean, almost what, like... One out of every three women is going to be disemboweled in their lifetime. So, <laughs> so true. You know, it's just a, a sad reality we have to deal and with. And of course, I mean, like, we all survive because no one yeah. knows where we keep our organs. Attempted disemboweling. <laughs> yeah. But it's all good. Not successful. Yeah. You know how, like, um, 
There's, like, all kinds of jokes about, like, there's a subreddit called Bad Women's Anatomy where it's just, like, posts about people who clearly don't understand, like, female anatomy. And Mm -hmm. I would love it if it was just like, yeah, guys, we have to keep this a secret because everyone thinks that we keep our organs in our legs. Mm -hmm. It'd be really great if they continue to think that. The thing is, like, (laughs) you know how you get split off from the other students for sex ed in high school? Yeah, like they put me in a room by myself. That happened. <laughs> yeah. Jackie, your whole thing down there, that's unique. So we're going to put yeah. you over here. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that the boys don't know this, but girls are actually taught how to re-embowel themselves. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. We're only taught how to disembowel women. <laughs> oh, no. That's why it's so common. Oh, oh no. <laughs> you hope you never need to know how, but, it, you know, better safe than sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, I mean, that's that's the ritual we all go through, right? Like, you move from being a little girl to being a woman once you're disempowered for the first time. Oh, my gosh. This is gross. Yeah. Okay. Um, Practice safe disembowelment. All right. Okay, here we go. So, while she's being sexually assaulted by the first guy, a Bulgar captain comes in, and he's, like, really attracted to her. So, he takes her away, and he's like, you're going to work for me. And she kind of maintains her distance from him i guess but he ends up getting bored of her anyway and he sells her to a jew named don isakar something like that what's he called in your yeah. book she says something really messed up which is the reason i was able to withstand the bulgar captain is because you know you can rape a woman of honor once but after that like it's a tonic for her virtue yeah and it only makes her more honorable it toughens her up yeah Okay, so it couldn't happen a second time, basically, because she she was smarter the, after yeah. that. Mm. So Ugh. the Bulgar captain, he sells her to a Jew named Don Issachar, who was passionately fond of women. And this Jewish guy was, like, really into her, but so far she's kind of been able to resist him. So some other things happen with other men wanting to also assault her, and there's this disagreement between the Jewish guy and the Grand Inquisitor of the Catholic Church. She's a priest. Yeah, yeah, and the Grand Inquisitor, like, also wants her, and they're fighting, and the Inquisitor's like, if you don't give her to me, I'm going to kill you for being Jewish. But so for some reason, the Jewish guy is able to withstand this pressure. Well, because they decide to split the days. They're yeah. like, all right, you get her on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I get her on like the Sabbath and Monday and whatever. And that leads to something later on. Right. So anyway, so she's still been able to withstand both of their attentions. And she thinks that's why they're both still interested in her because she hasn't slept with any of them yet. And she says that the Grand Inquisitor was like, had actually organized the auto de fe to put more pressure on the Jewish guy to be like, this could happen to you. So he invites her to go watch it, and that's where she sees Pangloss being hanged and Candide being flogged. And so she tells the old woman who's her servant, like, go save him and bring him back. And while they're talking, they, like, are hugging or something, and then Don Issachar arrives. Yeah. The next thing that happens is called Relating Further Adventures of Cunegonde Candide, the Grand Inquisitor, and the Jew. So, God, I just hate saying all these things. Donnie Sakar, <laughs> the, the Jew, comes in. <laughs> the Jew comes in, Ugh. and he's he's enraged to find Lady Cunegonde with Candide, so Candide just reflexively kills him. He's just like, whoop, whoop, and then he's like, oh, no, I killed this guy. Like, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> and then because he had, so that was like his day to have Cunegonde. The Sabbath. Yeah, now the clock strikes midnight and rolls over, and now it's the Grand Inquisitor's day. So immediately after he kills this Jewish guy, the Grand Inquisitor comes in and he's like, my turn. And then Candide is like, oh, 
And then just, like, stabs him, kills him, too, immediately. (laughs) You know, the lady servant, the old lady servant is like, you just killed two people. Like, you killed this extremely gentle Jew and you killed a priest. Like, what is going on? Like, you've got to get out of here. We we have to ride. And, he's, and she says, there's three horses in the stable. Cunegond, you take your diamonds and your jewels and stuff. Did you? Load them up. And then. No, I was just going to say something I thought was so funny is that, like, he kills a lot of people in the whole book. And, like, every time he kills them, he's like, what? what? I can't believe I, I did, did this. Yeah. So but this time, Cunegond is like, oh, my gosh, you just killed two people. And one you- was a priest. And he's like, listen, you don't understand. When you are in love and jealous and have been flogged by the Inquisition, there is no telling what you might do. <laughs> Look, I know you haven't had this particular set of circumstances happen to you, but step into my shoes for a minute. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> You'll see why this happened. Like, it's pretty understandable if you've yeah. had those three things happen to you. You're going to be a little on edge. <laughs> so um, the old lady is like, quick, get those three horses. I'll take one. Kunegand, you take one. And then Kandid, you take one. And she says, but it's going to be really hard for me to ride because I only have one butter. And then the chapter ends. It's not explained. Nobody says anything about it. Nobody says a damn thing. It's just like, yeah, I guess it would be hard to ride a horse if you only had one butt cheek. In mine, she always says, even though I have only one buttock for a seat. <laughs> Do you remember this, Theo? I feel like this would be a memorable part. I That is vaguely memorable, yes. Vaguely um, memorable. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's ringing a bell. What does it mean to only have one buttock? For a seat. Well, it's literal. We'll We're find get out. There. But like the way she phrases it. Yeah, she, mind <laughs> she keeps saying, I can hardly keep my seat with only one buttock. And no, <laughs> no one responds. You just ignore her. Wait, it says there was no response or it says, or that's just where the chapter ends? Well, no, just. There just is no response. After she says that, Candide saddles the horses and, and they go out. Mm. Like that's it. I think I, I would have written there was no response. <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> It also says like 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 this is just the joke she always thinks is gonna be funny and it never lands. And she's like, okay, let me try it again. <laughs> she keeps trying, yeah. I'm bombing yeah. here. Oh, so we do find out that like church officials eventually show up and they find the dead bodies and it says his eminence the inquisitor was buried in a beautiful church and Don Issachar was thrown onto the town refuse heap. Yeah, thrown onto the dung pile is what wow. Mary said. So Ooh, a lot of poop in this story. I saw on on Goodreads, so, you know, I I like to look at those one-star reviews, and so many of them were so unoriginal. It was just like, oh, this book is, like, sexist, and it, like, makes jokes about rape and murder, and it's, like, anti-Semitic, and, like, bad things happen to the Jew, and it's, like, clearly Candide is not a fan of what happens to the Jew, right? Like, he's setting up something to say, like, he's treated badly. Yeah, the whole point is, like, these two guys were doing the same thing. Like, they're both equally bad. Like, they both bought a woman to hopefully rape her. Right, but one got a great burial place. Right. Even though he's a priest and, like, should not have been up to that situation. Yeah. He shouldn't have even been up after midnight. Like, what are you doing? Go to it's bed. Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. So, I mean, there's got to be some, like, actual— No, it's confusing. —authorial anti-Semitism. Yeah. But I do feel like at least 80% of the anti-Semitism is, like, mocking anti-Semitism. That's why, for me, like, I hate books that have, like— In fantasy, a lot of times there's gratuitous sexual assault, which I hate. Hashtag Game of Thrones. But, I mean, people talk about the problem if, like, if a comedian makes a rape joke, you can do it well or poorly. If you do it well, you're not mocking a victim of sexual assault. You're, like, making fun of the society. And you're not comparing rape to something that's trivial. Right. Right. And Voltaire, okay, I think most of his rape jokes land. 
personally. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. It's just the way that you said that. I mean, Um, what do you think? You should leave that in your review on Goodreads. Most of the rape jokes land. (laughs) Four stars. (laughs) Because they're not. That's the thing. Like, people say rape jokes are never funny. That's true because it shouldn't be a joke about rape. The joke shouldn't. The punchline shouldn't be rape. A joke that involves... I don't know. It's it's really hard to, like— The joke— Right. It, the punchline shouldn't be, like, and then she was raped. Like, that's right. not— Right. The punchline for this, for example, like, with Cunegonde, it's like— So she's like, yeah, I got raped by this guy, but, you know, had I known that that was all in accordance with international law, I wouldn't have been so upset at the time. I would have been fine with it. Right. right. And that, mm-hmm. to me, was funny. It's not the fact that assault occurs that, yeah, like, that's not a problem. Like, that is setting up the whole thing. Right. The joke is, like, rape is terrible. Right. But society lets it happen in war and, like, turns a blind eye. Right. That's exactly— And we're supposed to think it's, like, it's a bad thing, but for some reason— If it's war, we're supposed to be like, oh, that's fine. Yeah, like you're supposed to distrust the evidence of your own feelings. Like, oh, this feels awful, but you know what? Law says it's okay. Yeah, so it's fine. I shouldn't be so upset about it. But anyway, that's why. Yeah, this was an obvious example of him not being anti-Semitic, but there are parts of it where I'm like, you seem actually racist. and I can't (laughs) tell if you're being sarcastic or not. So anyway, chapter 10. Describing the distressing circumstances in which Candide, Cunegonde, and the old woman reached Cadiz and how they set sail for the new world. Can I just say really quickly? Yes. I really liked it when Cunegonde is suddenly alive. Like, you like the reunion? <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is great. This means that I can't trust anything that happens yeah. in this narrative. Like, anything oh. can be reversed. And it was just like, wow, I'm just in for a ride. So you weren't just excited, like, oh, he loves her. I'm happy she's back. You were like, oh, this is wild. This is absurd. He's like, it's all on the table now. Anything could happen. <laughs> anything can happen and then get reversed. It's perfect. Yeah. I, I wasn't, like, really uh, into their love story. I don't think of them as, like— No, I think you're supposed to be. yeah. <laughs> I'm not shipping them, let's say. You don't have to ship them. They're already together. (laughs) Kind of. Sometimes. Yeah. For example, every time he thinks she's dead, they tend to not be together, but... We'll see who Jackie ships. Who do you ship, Jackie? Jacques and Candide? Jacques the Anabaptist? Uh, no. Cacumbo and Candide. Whoa. (laughs) We haven't gotten to yet. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, um, at this point... I knew it would be gay, though by the way, audience. I didn't have a thought about this. I just made it up because you asked me. <laughs> I wasn't shipping anyone. And it was gay. Honestly, I kind of wanted Candide and Cunegon to work out. Like, Really? I don't know. They might work out in the end. Whatever, whatever. Don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> you talking to yourself? Yeah, I, I, we should bleep that out because that's spoilers. <laughs> At this point, so they all ride off. The old woman has a hard time keeping her seat because she only has one buttock because she insists on telling everyone. She only has one freaking buttock. Yeah. (laughs) But somehow she stays on the horse, no problem, even though she claims it's going to be such a problem. And they get to this inn. And pretty soon, Kunigand realizes that someone has stolen all of her jewels. And Candide is like, well... That's probably for the best, but it would have been nice if they had left us a little bit. (laughs) So he's just, like, trying his best to be optimistic. So they're like, all right, well, we have to sell a horse then. So they decide the old lady is going to ride behind Cunegonde. And she again says, but it'll be hard for me because I only have one butt cheek. And again, nobody (laughs) responds. And it's still not explained at all. So they get to Cadiz, which is, I think, in Spain, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Candide immediately is like, hey, look, I used to be in the Bulgar army. I'm going to impress them and show them that I can do army stuff here. So he immediately becomes a captain. It's like a little army dance, basically. Yeah, he, like, does some stuff with a sword. Like, that's what a drill is. It's like a little army dance. That's cute. (laughs) That's what he does. He does 
like a little dance with a gun or a sword or whatever. He does like a little dance with a gun. <laughs> That's what he does. I'm imagining like color guard, you know, they have the fake rifle and he's just like twirling That's it. That's what and, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically he does color guard. <laughs> So all the girls in color guard in high school should have been made captains of the Spanish army. I mean, yeah, in the 1700s. Yeah, so he flips he flips the flag around and he does some stuff and shows him that he has two butt cheeks. So he he makes a lot of money then, and so now they have some money and they ride <laughs> off again. And um, Cunegon talks about how what. I want to write a book now where I mention that every character has two butt cheeks except one. (laughs) And then one time you just don't say anything. Like every time you introduce a character, you say they have two butt cheeks. And then one character you introduce and you don't say anything about their butt cheek number. You just don't say anything either way. And then then I provide other evidence. I show don't tell about their one butt cheek where I'm like, oh, they had trouble riding a horse. And like, oh, the stool was a little uncomfortable for them. <laughs> so. And like the twerking just kind of threw them off balance every time. It caused a lot of problems. <laughs> they accidentally twerked around in a circle because they were out of balance. <laughs> Spinning. Can I tell a story real quick? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've told this on the podcast before, but one of my favorite things that my dad has ever said was, I just like called him one day. This was back in college. We hadn't talked in a little while. And I said, hey, dad, what's up with you? And he said, oh, you know, not a whole lot's going on. He like told me about the cats that live in the yard and stuff and he said you know the other day I woke up and uh, on the front porch there was just a single huge wing like an enormous wing of some kind of like huge bird of prey and I was like oh my god how do you think that got there like what's going on with that like and he said I don't know but somewhere there's a very large bird flying endlessly in circles (laughs) (laughs) wow it was like both poetic and funny and tragic it was like a lot of feelings all at once you know if he's a dad he used that line like four other times to other people no he was serious there really was a big wing on his porch like that part is real no 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 but the the joke that he made after like he made that joke to other people too yeah. Oh, okay. Like he had to keep slaughtering a bird just so he could say like, yeah, oh, here's the wing. <laughs> he, can, yeah. he can tell the same story about the same wing to multiple people. Yeah, as soon as he tells the story, the wing just like disintegrates into pixie dust and he has to go. Yeah. It's not vegan. It's not a vegan story. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to tell you, he doesn't have object permanence, so he does have to have the object with him every time or, or he just can't do the joke. Like the calzone? Mm, yeah. The calzone also doesn't have object permanence, oh, okay, no. Nice. calzone. Oh, my poor dad told me he broke a tooth on a calzone this week. A calzone. Oh. The most Italian thing a man can do. <laughs> Breaking a tooth on a calzone? Yeah. Was it frozen? Hot and fresh out the kitchen? No, it wasn't frozen. I think the most Italian thing a man can do, Rachel, is to eat a calzone successfully without breaking it. <laughs> I don't teeth. know, girl. Are his teeth bad? No, so I don't want to make my dad sound like he has terrible teeth. He had chipped it apparently on something else earlier, but he didn't notice. And then what <laughs> What the the straw that broke the tooth of the back or the back the of the tooth, tooth of or the back. was the calzone. Where's your dad keep his mouth? Uh, organs in the legs, teeth on the back. Is that what the spine is? The spine is the teeth of the back. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Today I saw... I think it makes this sense. Is, sorry, this is getting really unhinged, but I saw um, an ultrasound picture on my Instagram because... Uh, some of you may know the famous hippo in the Cincinnati <gasps> Zoo, Fiona. Why no Fiona? Yeah, baby Fiona. Yeah. So she's getting a, a baby sibling and ah! her mom is pregnant with another oh hippo. So they posted this ultrasound picture. And, you know, I work in in a prenatal center and I see ultrasounds all the time. So I was like, I'm going to crop this. You're like, my God, what's wrong with that fetus? <laughs> so I took, a, I took the ultrasound picture of the baby hippo and I cropped it. And I sent it to all my coworkers and I was like, does anyone know what's going on here? <laughs> and... 
to their credit, no one tried to guess. Like, no one bullshitted and was like, oh, yeah, it looks like maybe the brain has I've some. I've seen that before. Yeah, the, the baby's been hippified. Or... Everybody was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Someone said, well, I sent it to a guy I went to school with, and he thinks it's a dinosaur. And then some other girl was like, I think it's a messed up fish. And then someone else was like, the spine didn't zipper up all the way. Because apparently hippos, like... They kind of have two spines that, like, converge. I don't know. Huh. So I sent this to all of them because I was imagining someone was going to be like, oh, yeah, I know what this is. This is a Dandy Walker malformation or something. But no one did. They were <laughs> about it. And then I was like, sorry, guys. This this was a hippo. <laughs> I'm sorry for wasting tons of healthcare dollars on this. That's why it costs so much <laughs> to get our freaking health cared for. Because the hippos are taking all the health care? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, because our health care workers are sending, like, little yeah. prank things to yeah. each other. <laughs> yeah, like, add up, like, how much we all get paid per hour, and, like, there was probably a lot of money spent wasted on this She wasted $5. Oh, my gosh. I better get yeah. another uh, uh, reduction to my premium, then. Okay. We're going to thank one of our newest patrons, Ellie, a queen. A queen. We've got it's a kind of Chronicles of Narnia situation. We've got two kings and two queens. <laughs> okay, if this was the Chronicles of Narnia and they were the kings and queens, they were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, who would we be? Theo, you're Mr. Tumnus? I'm the Turkish delight. You're the Turkish delight. Jackie? I only ever read The Magician's Nephew. What? Are you fucking kidding me? You didn't read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? No, I read it like six times. I really liked it, but I never read any of the other books. What? Okay. You can be Aslan. You can be Mr. Tumnus. You can be the White Witch. You can be— uh, Obviously, I'm the White Witch. Duh. Okay, you're the White Witch. Yeah, did you see true. my glowing buttocks in the moonlight? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> and Theo's the Turkish Delight. Uh, I'll be Aslan. I'll be the Jesus analog. <laughs> Wait, we're not the kings and queens, though. The patrons are. Yeah, they are. And I'm Aslan. And you're the White Witch. And Theo's the Turkish Delight. The kings and queens are the children. Oh, okay. Yeah, the children. Damn, I really should have read past The Magician's Nephew. <laughs> Didn't you realize I was going to make this reference? <laughs> you should have read, yeah, the entire seven book series in preparation for this bit. Okay, moving along, our second queen is Ellie. Ellie. We are excited because she also has to, has to? No, she gets to tell us what book to cover, which weirdly enough, only one yeah. of our four king queen royal patron patrons. one of the four royal patrons has utilized their ability so i'm kind of wondering when other people will I but i think ellie actually will i mean soon it's gonna be tristan's turn again right I, like, no i don't think we do it once a year <laughs> no not once a year but i mean eventually it, it's gonna be more than a year pretty soon <laughs> i guess sure okay someday tristan will get another turn so you guys better yeah. or tristan's gonna take your turn yeah you guys better get your your requests in. but uh she did say i'm doing this because i'm gonna i'm excited to force you to read something and i have a book in mind and i'm excited to make you read it and she didn't tell you what it was she did not and i will say oh i hope it's the book after the magician's nephew <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny maybe <laughs> This happened when I was at Ellie's Bachelorette weekend, and I, somebody was asking me about the podcast, and I was talking about it, and I mentioned the Patreon, and Ellie was like, wait a second, how am I not a patron already? And I was like, thank God she finally said something, because I was like really holding back. <sighs> but now you can see that I do not pressure my friends. <laughs> I had her number, and I was ready to rip her a new one, but you know you what? Had she finally had that text in drafts so ready to go but so she's like oh how am i not a patron already and she became a patron so ellie became a patron and it's great for us we love it and our lives are different now. we love ellie 
one time I was really tired at a beach weekend. This was years ago. And everybody thinks this is so funny. I don't know why, but Ellie like came upstairs. I think she had pajamas on and had just taken a shower. And I was very tired, almost falling asleep. And I said, Ellie, small Ellie, clean. And everyone just loved it and thought it was hilarious. But that's a good description of her. She's small. She's Ellie. She's clean. You were asleep? I was falling asleep. See, I've been around Rachel many times because we lived together for a long time. And and Rachel's never said anything cute to me in her sleep. Were you small? Were you clean? Were you Ellie? I've never been any of those things. Exactly. Um, I don't know Ellie, but I think of her as the one with the good hair. Ellie has really nice hair. She does have good hair. It's huge and red. If she sold that bad boy, she would make so much money on the open market. Oh my gosh, she'd be rich. She'd be rich. No, like she would, honestly, she'd probably make like $2,000 if she sold her hair. Anyway, I'm excited to go to her wedding. I'm not going to give the groom a shout out because he's not a patron. So F you. Bleep. Thanks very much, Ellie. That's a negative shout out. If you'd like a shout out like this, or maybe even better. If you want Rachel to say F you to your spouse, become a patron. (laughs) Yeah. Check out patreon.com slash fire the cannon for only how many dollars a month? Three? Three. For only $3 a month, you get access to all of our bonus content. And in the tiers above that, you start to get more tangible awards. So check it out. Mm -hmm. And we love and appreciate all our patrons. Anyway, um, so at the end of chapter 10, Candide has become a captain of the Spanish army. And Cunegonde is talking about how she feels like You know, she knows this is supposed to be the best of all possible worlds or whatever, but she's feeling really hopeless because she's just been through so much and she doesn't see how it can get better. And the old lady is like, I've been through way more than you, so why don't we just talk about that for a little bit? And Kunigand is like, okay, look, unless you have been raped by two bulgars and had two sets of parents slaughtered, had two of your loves be flogged at the same time, then there's no way you could be more unfortunate than me. And if you've lost like two times the amount of treasure I just lost, that's the only way you could be more unfortunate than me. And the old lady is like, hold my beer. And here we go. Yeah, here we go. What happened is the old woman is like, oh, you're the daughter of a baron from middle of nowhere, Germany. I am the daughter of an Italian princess and a pope. And the house that I lived in, your castle, we literally wouldn't even use it to keep horses in. Like, that's how rich I used to be. And also, I was, like, so, so So freaking gorgeous. Like, I was so gorgeous. Everyone was so obsessed with me. And I had a great life, and everyone loved me. She said, the women who would dress and undress me, they would fall back in ecstasy, and all the men would have loved to have switched places with them. Like, men, women, everybody loved it. Like, anytime a woman saw my naked body, she would pass out by how hot I was. (laughs) She was like 14 14 or 15 when she's telling this times times were different these days people don't pass out no matter how hot anyone is Mm, no matter how many (laughs) butt cheeks they have yeah it's because of all those unrealistic expectations right yeah. What did you say, Thee? I said no matter how many butt cheeks they have. <laughs> well, she had two at the time. I don't know. I feel like you could have a number of butt cheeks that would easily make someone pass out. Like more than like two? 100. Done. If someone had 100 yeah. butt cheeks, I don't know. I might pass out. What? I don't think you would even recognize them as butt cheeks <laughs> at that point unless they're tiny. <laughs> or their body's just covered in butt cheeks. <laughs> they're just droplets at that point. Droplets. All right. Okay. So she says, I had this like so hot fiance and like we were in love and it was awesome. But the problem is he had a former mistress and she invited him over 
for dinner or like for tea or something and she poisoned him and then he died. Mine says chocolate just to drink chocolate. Okay, well she invited him over and she poisoned his drink and he died two days later. And she was really upset about it. And her mom was like, let's get out of here, girlfriend. <laughs> girls trip. <laughs> yeah, they sail away on their girls trip and they're immediately captured by pirates. Basically, okay, the pirates strip everyone naked and like probe everyone's buttholes to look for jewels. Oh. I couldn't figure out what orifice they were talking about because she it's said It's gotta like, be buttholes because she says they do it to the men too. <laughs> God, it was just gross. It was like they, they put their fingers in where women normally admit nothing but a yeah. a glass vial or something. And I was no, like, mine says an enema. It says they put their fingers in a place where normally only enemas go. Okay, that sounds like the butthole. <laughs> okay, that is not what mine said. Mine says we women normally admit nothing but a syringe tube and so i'm thinking of like <laughs> i don't put syringe tubes anywhere <laughs> what body part do you put a syringe in i don't know <laughs> so i'm like i'm lost i don't know where i am not oriented you're not constantly sticking syringes up your butt jackie can you really call yourself a woman <laughs> yeah really. so anyway um she gets sexually assaulted by like some sailors and then they get sent to morocco as slaves and she talks about like we were all hot. Like, my mom was hot. All the maids were so hot. We were all hotter than everyone in Africa. Yeah. Like, even the hit most ugly maid we had was hotter than everyone in Africa. Yeah, that's gross. So she's like, all right, I had to get with this, like, horrible black guy, and I didn't like it, but he thought he was being awesome. Like, he thought he was treating me with honor because he was the captain, but of course I wasn't into it. Anyway, so she's like, whatever, but sexual assault, it happens all the time, so I won't even get into it. So they go to Morocco, and she's talking about, like, there were tons of civil wars, there was, like, a fight on the ship, and everyone started fighting against each other, trying to steal each other's treasure. She's like, yeah, my mom and all the ladies-in-waiting, they got, like, pulled apart into quarters like people grabbed them by each limb and was tugging and they all got pulled apart and she's like well the captain blocked me from getting pulled apart like that but eventually he got killed so i was the only one left she passes out like in a big pile of body parts of all of her kinsmen and then she wakes up later yeah so she wakes up because some guy is like feeling her up while she's passed out under a tree and she like opens her eyes and she's like, oh my gosh, it's a white man. This is awesome. And he's like currently yeah. molesting her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's speaking Italian. And what he says in Italian is like, oh, what a shame that I don't have testicles. <laughs> <laughs> well, what he actually says is, oh, what a shame to be without testicles. So it's possible that he was referring to her. Oh. That he was like feeling her body all over looking for testicles. She didn't have any. And he was like, oh, <laughs> poor thing. So that chapter is called The Old Woman's Story. This one's chapter is called The Old Woman's Misfortunes Continued. <laughs> So things don't get I think better. It could have just been one chapter, Voltaire. Anyway, okay. So she's rescued by this guy, and he's like, hey, yeah, you know, it sucks to not have testicles. But let me tell you about myself. I'm from Naples, and they castrate thousands of boys every year, and some of us die, and some of us get beautiful voices, and some of us become like high ranking government officials. And, you know, mine succeeded, and I was a soloist in the chapel of the Princess of Palestrina. And the old woman is like, oh my, or at the time, young woman, she's like, that's my mom. And he's like, oh my gosh. 
are you that little girl that I raised until she was like six? That I used to teach piano. Are you the woman that I just sexually assaulted? The little girl I used to babysit? She goes, yeah, that was me. And he goes, oh my God, how's your mom? And she said, oh my God, she's right over there. She's been torn into a million pieces. Go see her if you want. Yeah, she's in a pile with some other body parts. (laughs) So yeah, so she tells him about it and he's like, wow, what a terrible, what a story, whatever your name is. I don't think we know her name. <laughs> what a story. What a story, old lady. But he's like, wow, that really sucks. My mission here is over. I'm going back to Italy. You can come with me. Man, what a shame to not have testicles. So he just keeps saying that. He says it again? Yeah, he says it again. In mine, he also keeps saying like, wow, it really sucks that you're not a virgin anymore. Mine doesn't say that. Yeah. He never says that in mine. He just laments his lack of testicles. Mine's a little more woke than yours. Yeah, I guess. Either way, it's gross because he used to be her teacher when she was just a little girl. But luckily he's out of the story soon because he immediately sells her as a slave to like a political leader in Algiers. Phew, thank God. For the best, yeah. She asks him, so she's like, then a plague arrived. And have you ever been involved with a plague, mademoiselle? And the girl's like, no. And she says, yeah, it's way worse than an earthquake. So like, you know, shut up. (laughs) And she's like, listen, I was infected with the plague. I was 15 years old, a pope's daughter. In three months, I had been exposed to poverty and slavery, had been raped almost daily, had seen my mother torn to pieces, had endured war and famine, and was now dying of the plague in Algiers. As it happens, I did not die. And she says, like, the guy who bought me died, though, and so most of his slaves were sold off. And I was bought by a merchant who took me to Tunis, who sold me to another guy who went to Tripoli, then I went to Alexand- was resold in Alexandria, then in Smyrna, then in Constantinople, and finally I was the property of an aga of Turkish Janissaries, and they were sent to defend Azov against the Russians. She's like, this guy brought his whole, like... Harem of women. Harem, yeah, his whole seraglio. And we were kept in a fort guarded by two eunuchs and 20 soldiers. And the Russians were arriving. The soldiers had sworn they wouldn't surrender. So first they ate the eunuchs. And then they told us after a while, like, hey, sorry, but we swore we'd never surrender. So we have to kill and eat all of you. Yeah, so she says, luckily, there was a really pious and compassionate imam who gave them a sermon and said, like, don't kill these women. Just cut off one butt cheek from each of them and eat those. And then later, if you're still being besieged, you can cut off another butt cheek and eat the other one. And it says, and And there's your payoff audience. Yeah. And it says, like, (laughs) because you're so charitable, you'll be rescued because you're so charitable as to maim all these women. So anyway, she says, scarcely had the Janissaries finished the meal with which we had supplied them than the Russians arrived and killed everyone except the women. And she's like, luckily, there was a French physician who cured us. And as long as I live, I shall never forget how once my wounds had properly healed, he propositioned me. He must have done a good job. So it says he cheered them all up by being like, hey, this is just what happens in wartime. You're fine. It just happens. Sometimes you just lose a butt. (laughs) Sometimes you only have one buttock for a seat. So anyway, she's like, yeah, this sucks. I got sold to a boyar and I was made his gardener and they beat me 20 times a day. And then after this, I ran away and I crossed the whole of Russia by serving in taverns in different cities. She's like, finally, I made it to Rotterdam. And she says, I've grown old in poverty and shame, having only one buttock, but always mindful that I was the daughter of a pope. A hundred times I have wanted to kill myself, but I was still in love with life. And this is 
one of the only sections, funnily enough, where I feel like, oh, Voltaire is a pretty good writer. <laughs> he says, this absurd weakness is perhaps one of our deadliest attachments. Can anything be more foolish than to keep carrying a fardel and yet keep wanting to throw it to the ground, to hold one's existence in horror and yet cling to it? In a word, to caress the serpent that devours us until it has eaten away our heart. Hmm. And so then she's like, I finally found my way to you. So I recommend you go up to every single person on the ship and ask them if they have repeatedly cursed their existence and told themselves of the unhappiest man alive. And if you find a single person who doesn't agree with that, throw me into the ocean. And that's the end of the chapter. <laughs> so basically, everybody thinks they have it rough, Cunegond. Chill. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the next thing that happens is they finally reach Buenos Aires, and they meet the governor there. And the governor immediately falls in love with Cunegond. And he's like, hey, Candide, go away. You go away somewhere. Do some errand. He's like, hey, Cunegond, we're going to get married. And she's like, I don't want to. And he's like, I don't care. We're getting married. So we're going to do that. And um, the old lady is giving her advice, and Cunegond is like, well, I wanted to marry Candide. I didn't want to marry this governor. And the old lady is like, look, you have no money. You have been ravished by bulgars. Like, you've been disemboweled once, and you have a big scar. Candide has no money. This governor has money, and you'd be silly not to just go ahead and marry him. And also, like, Candide murdered a bunch of people, and he's in trouble, and he's a fugitive. So I think you should marry the governor. So she doesn't want to do it, but the old lady tells Candide, you need to skip town because you killed those two dudes and you're in trouble now. But that was, like, way back in Spain, right? Like, this is a whole other mm. continent. <laughs> like, how good are the police back then? <laughs> Chapter 14, and we're two away from the end. The reception—okay, so at this point, so he skips town, and he takes with him a servant named Kakambo. He's like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? How can I leave Kunegon behind? And Kakambo's like, look, women will always be fine. They'll find someone to take care of them. Let's just get out of here. We're going to go join the fight against the Jesuits. And since you were a captain previously, you're going to make a ton of money, and it's going to be great. He says, we're going to go to Paraguay and join the war. This is Kakambo, the servant. And this is what he says about Paraguay. Quote, it's a wonderful system they have. The reverend fathers own the whole lot, and the people own nothing. That's what I call a masterpiece of reason and justice. So they get to Paraguay, and then um, he asks for an audience with the colonel since they're planning to join the military. And the colonel comes, and lo and behold, it turns out that he is Lady Cunegon's brother. And we had thought he was dead and torn to pieces, but, you know, soap opera life. He's not dead at all. And he and Candide have this emotional reunion, and they're, like, weeping and falling on each other. And Candide is like, let me tell you some great news. Your sister is also alive. And so the next chapter is How Candide Killed the Brother of His Beloved Cunegonde. I feel like this is the funniest title because, you know, it, it gives away <laughs> it, a lot. the previous chapter was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so happy to see you, my brother. <laughs> yeah, so he, the colonel, who is Cunegonde's brother, describes, like, seeing his family slaughtered, and he calls Candide his brother and savior. And Candide tells him, like, well, then you'll be glad to hear that your sister and I are getting married. And the colonel is like, hold up, you think you're good enough to marry my sister? No, that's never going to happen. I would kill you first. And he draws his sword. The same thing that happens every time is Candide, like, reflexively just kills this man <laughs> with, like, no effort put in and then is like, oh, no, I loved him. Why did this happen? Like, as though he had no agency. Because I felt like Candide didn't have that much of a personality, but that is definitely one of his character traits. Yeah, he's very flat, but that is definitely something he repeatedly does. <laughs> also, like, why is he so amazing at fighting? Well, I mean, he's been through a lot. Yeah, starting with those kicks on the butt, like, that really toughened him up. <laughs> so Kakambo comes in and he's like, again, like, you just killed this other guy. Like, we're going to have to, like, leave. We just got here. So he puts on the dead colonel's clothes 
Candide, and he escapes by pretending to be him. Oh, right. And the final chapter that we're going to cover at this time is chapter 16, uh, the adventures of our two travelers with two girls and two monkeys and what happened to them amongst the savage Oreillons. So this is right after he's killed Cunegon's brother and he's on the lamb again. And Kakambo, his servant, had brought along a whole bunch of food and they said, here, let's sit down and eat. And Candide is like, how can you ask me to eat when I just killed the Baron's son and I'm never going to see Cunegonde again? And everything's awful, but he eats anyway. And they're eating and they hear some cries, which they're like not sure if they're like scared cries or joyful cries. But they look up and they see along the edge of the meadow that they're sitting in, two naked girls are running along the edge of the meadow while two monkeys followed them, nibbling their buttocks. Candide's <laughs> heart was touched by the sight. His what was touched? His heart. His heart was touched by the sight. <laughs> Is that the most heartwarming thing you've heard all day? <laughs> so he sees this, this heartwarming sight of the monkeys nibbling on the girls, and it says, well, he knows how to shoot really well, so he fired and he killed the monkeys. Apes, in fact, not monkeys. Does yours say monkeys? It does. It says monkeys. What the fuck? Mine says apes. They're two different things. Yeah, I remember when I read it, I was picturing apes. So it probably said apes. Mine says monkey, so I was picturing like little tiny things. Who knows? (laughs) Anyway, so it says, oh, I saved the girls. This is awesome. Like it makes up for all those people I just killed. (laughs) And so he was like going on and on about how good this was of him. And then he stops because he sees the two girls fondly embracing the two monkeys or apes or whatever they are, shedding tears over their bodies. And Kakumbo says, nice job, idiot. You just killed their lovers. And is like, they're lovers. That's not a thing. That's not possible. Yeah, are you making fun of me? And Kakumbo <laughs> says, why do you find it so weird? He basically says, like, why are you kink shaming them? Is it really that weird that in some parts of the world, ladies can obtain the favors of monkeys and vice versa? And Candide is like, yeah, I guess you're right. I am pretty prejudiced. Like, I I used, I just thought this was fake. And it's like, well, yeah. be educated because you Educate just killed yourself. their lovers. He says, like, he's like, you know, apes are one quarter human. And I myself am one quarter Spanish. Okay. Mm-hmm. The math. Same thing. Nope, doesn't work. But he's like, yeah, you know, I guess I did used to hear all these stories of, like, fawns and satyrs. I suppose that it used to happen all the time with humans hooking up with animals and then creating mythical creatures. (laughs) I shouldn't have been so surprised. I'm, like, 116th Irish, so don't be surprised that leprechauns are real. (laughs) He says, basically, he's like, look, these girls, they didn't have a proper education, so I don't know what you're so surprised by. Of course their boyfriends would be apes. (laughs) <laughs> they haven't been taught any better. Oh, boy. I, look, we've all been there. I have a coworker who's in Gen Z, and she refers to the time that she dated a stupid boy as her, quote, clown summer. Wow. That's pretty funny. <laughs> so this was their ape summer. Yeah, their clown. Their ape Every girl summer. has one. He's basically like, we've got to run away. And they find the tribe that the girls belong to. And I guess the girls had told everyone they killed our eight boyfriends. (laughs) So they're surrounded by people and there's like a cauldron that's being boiled and some spits that are being prepared, which like it's only two dudes. Can we pause for a second? Because let's just give Candide the benefit of the doubt here. Let's just say he saw them being pursued by two dudes. Mm -hmm. But they're running away and screaming, and the dudes are nipping at their butts. Snapping, mine says. That doesn't seem like they shouldn't be shot. Yeah. That seems like they might still be in danger whether they're apes or men, right? Mm. I agree. So he didn't make that big of a mistake, I think. I think if it was (laughs) men, he would be 100% in the right. Really? Yeah. (laughs) 
Just for butt snapping? <laughs> Just for a mere butt snap. We do that every day. So anyway, so the men are like, or all the warriors are, they're naked, which maybe now's the time to tell a story. But anyway, they're naked and they're chanting, <laughs> it's a Jesuit, it's a Jesuit, we will be avenged and we'll eat our fill. Let's eat Jesuit, let's eat Jesuit. Mm. <laughs> Jesuit's back on the menu. Get to use that meme again. Yeah. <laughs> Just went back on the menu, boys. <laughs> that implies that there was a menu. <laughs> and that they used to have Jesuit on it. So anyway, so Kakambo's like, look, I knew this was going to happen. I guess they're going to roast us or boil us. Well, I wonder what Master Pangloss would say about this. Candide cleverly gets them out of it, though, because he says, hey, you guys think you're going to eat a Jesuit? That's fine. It's perfectly fine to eat Jesuits. But you know what your problem is? I'm not a Jesuit. Well, no, Kakambo gets them out of it. Oh, you're right. Kakambo says that. Yeah. He cleverly says, guys, 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 I get it. You want to eat a Jesuit. That makes <laughs> we sense. We all want to eat makes a Jesuit. perfect sense. Like, you're, <laughs> it's great that you're not being wasteful. If you're going to kill a guy anyway, you might as well eat him. But here's the problem. Mm -hmm. We're not Jesuits. We actually just killed one ourselves. We're on your side, like, take this uniform to the fort, ask them, they'll confirm that we killed a Jesuit. So they do, they come back, and they're like, oh, sorry, guys, they said that you did kill a Jesuit, like, nice work. So they untie them, and they're chanting, he's no Jesuit, he's no Jesuit, and they, like, happily lead him to the edge of their kingdom, and, you know, they've been treated so well, and Candide is like, wow. What a people. Yeah. Thank goodness that I ran into and killed Cunegon's brother because, gosh, otherwise I would have been eaten alive. Yeah. That's what <laughs> saved me. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. So it turns out this is good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's <laughs> the end of the book. No. Just kidding. It's the end of the portion of the book that we're covering. So are you confused? You probably should be. <laughs> I mean, a lot of stuff happens. There's a lot of people who come in, immediately die. Or die and then come back. Yeah, it's, they might be back. Who knows? Maybe we'll see Pangloss again. We'll see. Sometimes a random person tells a story for two chapters. Somehow they're tracking Candide for these murders in Spain over in Buenos Aires. But then also, like, medicine in this world is amazing. They can cure syphilis. Mm -hmm. They can bring people back from being disemboweled. Yeah. If you're going to run into Candide later... Medicine is truly amazing. If you're not, then you probably just are one of the random people who died in a plague or an earthquake. Mm. Well, anyway, so that happened. I guess we've been promising that we would tell our story about um, the skinny dipping. Should we save it for next Condi? I don't know. I feel like we've been telling people that we were going to do it. All right. Let's just tell it. Let's tell it. So basically, I'll just start and then you guys take yeah, cause, over. Because we diverge. Like our stories, it's it's like a different narrator POVs that happen. Yeah, they yeah. really do. <laughs> so Jackie said, basically, on my bucket list is skinny dipping. And I was like, oh, well, we should just do that. We were all at the beach for the summer. And I said, we should just do that tonight. It'll be awesome. And, you know, nobody has to see anyone. It'll be dark and we'll space ourselves along the beach. Yeah, so very no dark. one can see anything. And I was like, I'll ask my siblings if they want to come too. And a few of it's, them it's did. It's in accordance with the, the letter of the law, but not the spirit. <laughs> in accordance with international law. We technically did the skinny dipping, but it was far apart and in the dark, right? Well, it was basically solo because I think it's very fun. You feel like you're really a part of the ocean. You can just do it by yourself. You don't need people to be there with you. It's very peaceful. Yeah, exactly. So Jackie was like, oh, okay. And I said, if it's on your bucket list, girl, let's do it. So we did. So we spaced ourselves along the beach and it was kind of dark and foggy. No one could see anyone. It was perfect. There was a very bright moon though. But you couldn't see anyone 
unless you were like right there. No, no, you couldn't see anyone. Yeah. But we could, I could see the So beach. it was not titillating at all if that's what you're hoping for, audience. No, that's not the, this kind of story. <laughs> I think there were like seven or eight of us too, by the way. Yeah. So anyway, I just had a normal time, went into the ocean, floated around, came <laughs> out, found my clothes. It was all great. Okay, Jackie's turn. <laughs> yeah. So I walk a long ways down the beach because I'm like, for some reason, I see that the moon is out, and I'm like, this is basically a spotlight. Anyone in a mile's radius could see this. <laughs> so I take off my clothes, and I'm like, this is great. There's no one around. And I'm terrified of the ocean. And I had also said, like, I will not ever swim at night. Like, the idea of being in the ocean at night was, like, terrifying to me because I'm kind of afraid of it in the daytime. But for some reason, I got in the ocean, and being alone— in the middle of the night, it was just great. It was really great. It was exactly like everything Rachel said it would be. So the first part of this went great for me. Mm-hmm. We did. We met up when we were in the ocean. Like we did. Yeah, we congregated. Yeah, we congregated in the water. Yeah, once we were in the water, we got closer enough that we could chat. But it was yeah, it was dark and we we're in the waves and everything, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. I was like, I think I was the first one to leave. So I was like, I'm getting out of the water because I I'm and I had put my clothes in a place where I was like, I ex- I know exactly where these are going to be. Mm-hmm. It's next to this like distinctive looking pile of seaweed. (laughs) (laughs) I know that pile anywhere. (laughs) Once you can see the seaweed, you can see your own clothes. Like, what? How is that helpful? (laughs) I don't know, but I had walked so far away because I was like, I don't want anyone to see me. I'm going to go over here. I don't want it to be weird. Rachel's little sister is here. You floated, right? Like, you floated pretty far. Well, I just took my clothes off, and then I went back to where you guys were. So I walked, took my clothes off, went into the ocean, and then swam over to you guys. So I was like, I'm not going to have any trouble finding my clothes. They're right there. I put them in a place anybody could find them. (laughs) Couldn't find these clothes. (laughs) Walking around, butt naked, both butt cheeks, right there. Like, didn't lose any of them in the ocean. Gleaming in the moonlight. Yeah, gleaming in the moonlight. And I'm walking around, totally sober, and I'm just like— That was a Prince of Egypt reference for all my— Egypt heads out there. That's true. I did like the Prince of Egypt. And so I'm just walking around and I'm like, any minute now I'm going to find these clothes. Any minute now. It's just the beach. It's the ocean. There's the ocean on one side. There's the sand on the other side. You can't possibly lose them. I'll find them. I just haven't gone far enough. Yeah. And I'm like, I haven't gone far enough. And then at some point I'm thinking, I've gone too far. And I'm like, no, but I haven't seen them. So I must have to go further. And so I walk and walk and I swear I walked a mile. You were gone for a long time. Like we started to freak out. We were like, where is Jackie? What happened? And so I'm just walking and I'm like, I sure hope I don't run into anyone because all I could. And at some point I started to think I have to live on the beach now. Like, I'm going to have to dig a <laughs> hole. I'm going to have to just swim out into the ocean and, like, maybe forage. We'll see what happens. Weren't you scared people were going to find you, too? Well, because I was like, it's nighttime, but, like, and you're in a residential area. But at some point, I was like, yeah, I'm probably going to, like, run into somebody else walking around <laughs> here. But at least I could see for, like, a long way around. I didn't see anybody. Yeah. But, like, the funny thing is that I just kept thinking, like, I just have to go further and further and further. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so eventually I was like, this isn't working. So I, I was, I just like turned around and I was like, all right, I'm going to try again. And like, I re, I paced and paced and like eventually, and I had no phone, of course, or anything. So I was like, I'm fucked. Like, I'm just going to have to live out there and be like a <laughs> naked beach woman. <laughs> maybe, maybe if I just like dig a hole in the sand and lay here, someone will find me in the morning and like, it'll, <laughs> you know, <laughs> call the police or something. I don't know. And at some point I hear Rachel's little sister. <laughs> And so her and her boyfriend are, like, walking up. They're like, Jackie, I have your clothes. And I was just like, thank you, Lydia. Like, this is the worst. And so, well, like, I think I found yeah. your clothes 
because I was like, Jackie's taking so long. And I said, oh, I think she probably <laughs> overshot her clothes. <laughs> and we waited a little bit. Because you couldn't even see me anymore. I was that far gone. Yeah. So I, I walked over. I'm like, I bet I'll find her clothes. Your clothes were like not far from us. So I found the clothes and I, <laughs> I was doing something. Oh, I think I was helping Theo at the time. So I asked Lydia, like, can you please take Jackie's up there? Can you just take these to her? Because I know she's like walking around in the nude somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I was like, they wouldn't have played a joke on me and like stolen my right. clothes. So like, clearly I'm just, I just missed it. You, Yeah, you did something wrong. <laughs> it's fine. It's nighttime. Like Lydia hands them to me and I was just like, mm-hmm. thank you. And then like, I kind of just like slink. There's nowhere to go. Yeah, just like gremlin <laughs> back over into the darkness. <laughs> so then I get my clothes back on and, and my my part of the story ends. And we switch to Theo's POV. <laughs> POV. Yeah. Most important part for Theo was that you also took off your glasses and had no contacts. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I went into the water and I was naked as the rest were. Yeah, I couldn't see anything. I was just sort of trusting you guys that like when you said like, oh, we can't see each other. I was sort of just trusting you. Yeah. Because, like, I can't see anything anyway. <laughs> so you were money. hoping that we weren't <laughs> tricking you and everyone was, like, looking at your butt and laughing. Why would we lie about that? To me, you guys <laughs> could have all been clothed and I was the only one naked and I probably wouldn't have known. <laughs> yeah, because we were, like, swimming in the ocean at night and I didn't have my glasses. And so then I remember Jackie was like, okay, I'm going in. Okay, bye, Jackie. And Jackie left. And then I pictured what Jackie was about to do, like, go onto the beach and find her clothes. And I realized, wait, I will not be able to find my clothes if I go back on the beach. Like, it will be absolutely (laughs) hopeless. Like, I would have to be crawling on all fours to be close enough to see (laughs) my clothes. Then I was like... And you didn't even put them next to a distinctive pile of seaweed or anything. Yeah, right. So that actually might have helped Theo, just not you. (laughs) No, I don't think it would have helped because he needed to put them far away from anything at all or he would think everything's his clothes and he would just have to touch everything. (laughs) That's true. Well, no, it was... You were the first one to leave. And then I was like... Because we were trying to stagger the timing so no one could accidentally see anyone. <laughs> so we didn't yeah. all leave it at, at once, yeah. Our desire not to get freaky really just ruined this for everyone. Like, we should have just... Uh, you were the ones who win. cared because I've told you guys, like, I've I've been in saunas many times before. Like, when I was, tra- like, hanging out in Finland, I was constantly going into these saunas with randos. And, like, in Korea, if it was just all me the bathhouses, everyone's care. in the nude. So to me, I don't care. Right. But I knew Theo couldn't handle it. And I felt like Jackie was going to be a little Even weird. me and Rachel and Steven, I felt like would be fine. Like, because nobody cares. I just feel like when you add Theo into the mix, it gets weird. You're like, nobody cares about me, but I do not want to see Theo. <laughs> that's the vibe you're giving. No, that's not. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, but no. I was like, hey, Steven, I'm not going to be able to see my clothes at all. So when you go in, can you like find my clothes and like wave your phone around so I can like so I know where they're going to be. And he was like, okay, I gotcha. And then he was like, I'm going to catch this wave in. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> see ya. And then he like caught the wave. And then I looked around and I was totally alone. Like, I just, <laughs> Rachel, you could have still been in the water and I would have had no idea. It was like complete black on one side. And then there was like vague, like blurry light on the other side. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> so you at least knew which way was the open ocean and which way wasn't. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the waves also helped. <laughs> <laughs> but he has the power of touch. <laughs> and, and I was like, uh, is anybody there? And I was like calling out and I didn't hear any response. And I was like, wow, I suddenly feel more vulnerable than I've ever felt in my entire <laughs> life. 
totally nude, blind, <laughs> in the middle of the water. Totally nude, blind, can't hear any other human in the ocean yeah. at night. But I was the one who was the most scared of this, and yet I found it incredibly freeing. And you weren't afraid at all. I was totally free up until the point when I realized I was alone and helpless. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I basically thought, like, the last thing I want to do is be crawling around naked on the beach. So I'm going to save that for last. I'm just going to sort of hang out in the ocean for a while yelling for people. So he ordered the things he wants to do. And he said, the first thing I want to do is this. The last thing I want to do is that. Yeah, get eaten by a shark, crawl around on all fours on the beach naked. <laughs> Drown. Come out of the ocean again. Yeah. <laughs> that was crazy though. It's like the womb must not be that different than what I experienced, I think. Just like feeling uh-huh. like- except for all the danger in the sharks. <laughs> it wasn't danger. But wasn't I the one who heard you or something? Because I feel like you I couldn't do the Jackie thing because I was trying to help you. Like I think Steven like surfed off into the distance or whatever. Eventually what happened is you heard me. And then Steven, like, came out into the ocean and held my towel up, and I just sort of ran into the towel. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember, because we compared that to giving birth. Like, oh, it's like being born. Like, you come out, you're, like, totally. Yeah, Steven catches him in a towel. But then, like, the only part that's different is that instead of, like, the surgeon or whoever, like, catching the baby and being excited, it was him, like, looking away and being like, no, no, I don't want to see it. Just get in the towel. Yeah. He was looking away, which I appreciated. (laughs) Oh, man. It was just a... I feel like I was in there for like 20 minutes by myself because I couldn't figure out what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I had a totally normal time. I'm going to do it again. What about you? Would you do it again? I will do it again, but I will do things differently. Okay, look, this is what I think we would need to do. If you guys are like, you know, you want to keep things separate, what we need to do is line up with our backs to the ocean Take your clothes off, go in the ocean one at a time, all of our clothes in a pile. I go out first and then I holler, okay, Jackie, it's right here. Come get your clothes. Then I like walk to the ocean with Theo's glasses, put them on his face. Then he can come out and get his stuff. No, I feel like this sounds like a duel. Like we're all, we all have our backs to each other. We turn, we walk several paces. Like we don't know what's going to happen. That's what it felt like this time that we were like, okay, 10 paces away and we won't be able to see anything. But the other thing that happened after this is that, so Theo, I guess, had the same idea as me, which was like walk really far away so no one sees you getting undressed and then go in the ocean. So Rachel was like, oh, well, your clothes were just right there with Theo's. And I was like, wait a second. (laughs) I'm wearing Theo's clothes. I thought I was by myself. So then I thought like, like my whole, idea of like going far away was pointless because Theo was like right there the whole time and I just didn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> no. And I was like, no, he came after. I was there. <laughs> I was much further away, right? No, your clothes were like, your clothes ended up really close together. Hmm. Yeah, like you walked to the same spot. <laughs> I felt, it was very witchy. It was a very witchy experience, like walking around in the full moon and I was just like, yeah, I have so much power. Didn't we talk about how it was like a cauldron and we were the ingredients? Something like that. Maybe. It was also really nice because I feel like as a woman, like, you're constantly, like, in danger of, like, getting something knocked off. I guess that's just true of anyone. Getting but something knocked off. When you're a woman. Whoa, whoa, whoa. A boob. Like your, like your bathing suit or something. Like you're your always butt like, Yeah, butt cheek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you're always in danger of having part of your body eaten. But, you know, you get hit by a wave and you're like, oh, I have to, like, adjust this or whatever. An ape snaps at your buttocks. But if you're not wearing anything, there's nothing to adjust and there's nothing to worry about. You're just. Oh, you're talking about your bathing suit. Oh. Yes, I'm not talking about my body parts falling off. Also, it's it's just as a woman, it's nice to not be perceived. Yeah. If it's dark, 
and you're just floating. Also, gravity is not affecting you, so you're not really thinking about your body as a, you know, a physical object. As an object. Right, it's more like a vessel yeah. that you're in, and it's it just kind of does what you want, and you're just floating. If you feel weightless, no one can see you. You're just talking. Yeah, you feel very free. Yeah, and you don't feel any friction. Not friction, that sounds weird, but, like, you don't feel any, like, there's nothing going against the water. It's just you going right. with the water. Like nothing yeah. is like, yeah, you don't have to worry about anything else. Yeah, You're just talking to people and you don't have to worry like, what do I look like right now? Mm. It's just nice. I wonder if that's, <laughs> Theo, is that how it feels as a man too or is or no? I think Theo also hates being perceived. I mean, I felt far more self-conscious <laughs> because I was thinking, what if they actually can see me and they are But I clothed. swear we couldn't see you. <laughs> but like, wouldn't you notice <laughs> if your whole body was out of the water? <laughs> No, he just thinks maybe we were able to see into the water somehow. Yeah, like X-ray. We're like, aha, bright light vision. he does have two testicles after all. <laughs> Isn't it sweet to have testicles? That's the reverse. Of the- he kept saying this thing in Italian and no one knew what it was. And then later we translated it. I went into a trance and just kept saying it. It's like, Theo doesn't know Italian. I really wish someone was here. He could tell us what he's saying. <laughs> it's the ghost of that Italian guy entering my body. And then he's like, ah, oh, got testicles again. This is great. Thank God. Thank God. I have testicles again. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Mm-hmm. We didn't have any any firsthand evidence of how many testicles there are or not. It was a good experience. I just, yeah, I wouldn't lose my clothes next time. I would do it again, but differently. I would force you guys to do it differently. I wouldn't have Rachel's younger sister's boyfriend there. I think that's the part I would ha- I would leave out. <laughs> you wouldn't have you wouldn't let him go. He was right there when she was handing me my clothes. No one could see anyone. Yeah. Sure. No, I'm serious. <laughs> we could all see deep into the ocean, though. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, anyway, guys, thank you for joining us to listen to Candide Part One. Uh, if you're excited for Candide Part Two, you should be. But you're gonna have to maintain that excitement for like a month, and I'm not kidding. A month? Because let me talk about our upcoming schedule next week. We have a free preview of our Patreon bonus episode for you. And I think it's my dad's new life as a plant or whatever that Goosebumps book is called. Mm. Is that right, Theo, or no? Hashtag plant life. Oh, come on. It's Stay Out of the Basement. Stay Out of the Basement by R.L. Stein. Dad. And so we're doing that next week. The week after, in honor of Cinco de Mayo, which, much like St. Patrick's Day, is not that big of a deal in the country. (laughs) In (laughs) Ireland? It's not a big deal in Ireland. (laughs) But we will, I'm just basically using it as an excuse to introduce Jackie to the poetry of Sor Juan and Inez de la Cruz, who I really like. I've liked her since high school, so I'm excited. Week after that, we have a special Mother's Day episode coming, which you'll hear more about later. Week after that, we've got... An awesome interview with a writer, Premi Muhammad. So excited for you to hear that. Oh, that one was really fun. The week after that, we've got another Patreon bonus episode. I think it might be the one for Theo's birthday. We're still hammering out the details on that. Finally, the week after that. What about the quiz game? Wait, when's Theo's birthday? What about Quiz Me on a Quiz Bowl? May 20. May 16. Yeah, so it's got to be the one in May. It's got to be the one in May. (laughs) Yeah, but he loves the quiz game. I mean, that can be his birthday one, but I thought we were doing My Dog Talks. All right, well, audience, stay tuned. Theo's going to tell us what he wants for his birthday. Well, what I'm saying is Condit Episode 2 will be arriving in June, so maintain that level of excitement. If you have trouble remembering what happened, just nothing happened. Listen to it again. A bunch of people died. (laughs) It's fine. Yeah, listen again. Yeah, listen again. 
So if you'd like to get in touch with us another way besides giving us money and then contacting us through Patreon, you should check out our Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, email. We're all at firethecannonpod. The email is at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. We have a website, firethecannonpod.com podcast yeah so you may have heard us say different things pod podcast whatever we made them all interchangeable now yeah you can make them all fire the cannon yeah pod. everything is fire the cannon pod you could add an at gmail.com or a dot com depending on where you want to go and uh see you there right love it see ya catch you on the flip side mm-hmm. catch you on the flip side mm-hmm.